God keeps his word. And that word begins with Adam. The day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. That word is law. And the letter kills. But there's another word. A word after the law that brings life. That word was also given to Adam after sin. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. You shall bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. And that word came to fruition in Abraham. Fear not, Abram. I will be your shield. And your reward will be great. This word has a slogan. This promise is for you and your children forever. This word delivers from the tyranny of the devil. This word watches over you in such a way that not a hair falls from your head without the will of the Father. This word gives new life. This word resurrects from the dead. This word baptizes into heaven itself. Transforms you from a kingdom, transfers you from a kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light, to a kingdom not of this world. This word is the commission of the church. This word is called the power of God unto salvation. And this word is gospel. And God keeps his word. The word is the law. And the word is gospel. That's the title of my sermon this morning. The Lord keeps his word. God keeps his word. God keeps his law. God keeps his gospel. God keeps his word. Chapter 15, verse 1. In the 27th year of Jeroboam, king of Israel, Azariah, the son of Amaziah, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 16 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned for 52 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jecholia of Jerusalem. Now, we left chapter 14. When we left chapter 14, God had blessed the northern kingdom. The northern kingdom was the blessed kingdom. For the Lord promised to Jehu a, a, a dynasty if he would fulfill God's commands. And, and Jehu was Ahab's destruction. He was Ahab's doom. He cleared and cleansed the land of idolatry. He was obedient to God's law. Therefore, the Lord highly exalted him with a throne for four generations, four sons to sit gloriously on the throne in Israel. And for a short time, the sons delivered Israel from oppression, recovered the empire's borders as Solomon had it, and ruled over Judah. The Lord blessed Israel because of Jehu's obedience, because the Lord keeps his word. Nevertheless, the sins of Jeroboam, the false worship, plagued Israel. God delivered Israel from her sins and misery, and the northern tribes responded with idolatry. The Lord was good and merciful, gracious, and their response was idolatry. And this leads to her decline. And this is the law. And God keeps his word. 
All of Jehu's descendants did evil in the sight of the Lord. And they all caused Israel to sin and worship. So after four generations, Yahweh now in chapter 15 withdraws his grace. He withdraws his favor. And chapter 15 begins the time of judgment against Israel's sin. Like with Ahab, God will exact justice against idolatry. But this time around, that justice will not come from within. So that Israel will be preserved. No, his instrument of destruction is Assyria. Assyria is coming. This is the law. And God keeps his word. But first we learn of Judah. Israel subjugated Judah. But they regained their place as God's chosen seed. God promised Judah. It's Judah to whom he promised an everlasting throne. David's throne in Judah. They lost their place in chapter 14, subjugated by Israel, went into decline, but now they're stabilizing. Now God is lifting Judah back up. In this chapter, there are several, there are many kings. There are six northern kings in this chapter, only two southern kings. And the two southern kings uh, show a stable, a stable kingdom, whereas the northern kingdom shows nothing but instability. Short reigns, you're going to notice that they all have short reigns. That's a common theme. All of the northern kings have short reigns. The other theme is conspiracy. They're all murdered. But the south was a picture of stability because they did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Verse 3, here's Judah. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord according to all that his father Amaziah had done. The northern kingdom is evil, evil in the sight of the Lord. And evil in the eyes of the Lord always leads to misery. Whereas right in the eyes of the Lord, we'll see, leads to blessings. Do you want a terrible life? Who here wants a terrible life? Who here wants to suffer and just be miserable and be depressed and have anxiety for the rest of their life? Who loves that? I want more misery, more anxiety, more depression, more trouble, more sorrow. Good. Here's how you do it. Just fail to keep God's word. Don't do God's word and you will have a miserable life, guaranteed. If you have a miserable life now, I bet you come come see me for counsel. (laughs) I bet I have the answer. Fail to keep God's word and guess what? God will keep it. Fail to keep God's word and he will keep his law. God keeps his word. The letter kills. God kept his word. He also kept his word and blessed Judah as promised. Nevertheless, there are two adverbs that are repeated in this chapter that speak another word. Those adverbs are nevertheless and still. You can see the first two adverbs in verse 4. Look at verse 4. Nevertheless, the high places were not taken away. The people still sacrificed and made offerings on the high places. Now look over at verse 35. Nevertheless, the high places were not moved, and the, pe- the, people, the people still sacrificed and made offerings on the high places. So Judah does right in the eyes of the Lord, kind of. 
They did right in the eyes of the Lord, kind of. You see, God's people in both kingdoms, the north and the south, they both worshipped falsely. And Israel in the text is rightly condemned. And the text is clear. The pace moves quickly through their kings towards eventual destruction. We're leading to chapter 17 where they're completely wiped off the face of the earth. Yet the pace slows down at the end of the chapter. It's going quickly through these northern kings. And he, he did evil and, and he was killed. And the next king did evil and he was killed. Bam, 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 bam. But then the pace slows down at the end with an ominous warning against Judah. And that warning is a verb. Verse 37. In those days, Yahweh began to send foreign aggression against Judah. Yahweh began to send the hand of the Lord. The hand of the Lord. This is law. Yahweh sent is the law. Foreign aggression against Judah is law. God keeps his word. You see, this chapter serves as a warning for all of God's people. Just as Israel faced judgment, it will come to Judah and will fall all upon all who do not offer God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Judgment will fall upon all who do not offer acceptable worship with reverence and awe. And this is a new covenant word. Listen to Hebrews 12, 6. Hebrews 12, 6. For the Lord disciplines the one whom he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. The Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises his own people. And with this warning comes this charge in the same chapter, Hebrews 12, 28. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. We have received an unshakable gospel. And your life is secure in Christ. That's the message of the gospel. And so let us find our delight in the Lord and worship him accordingly. Let us delight in his law and follow his word. Let us keep his word and worship for he is still a jealous God and he still visits the iniquity of his people. He keeps his word. He's still a consuming fire. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Verse 3. We see that he did right in the eyes of the Lord. Nevertheless, the high places were not taken away. And the people still sinned and made sacrifices on the high places. And because the southern king did not reform Israel, Israel's worship, the Israelites still sinned against the Lord. And so we get another adverb in this text. Verse 5, and Yahweh touched the king so, there's the adverb, that he was a leper. To the day of his death had to separate from the people. Leprosy is the law. It's one of the curses for foreign, for foreign worship, for idolatry. One of the curses for idolatry is leprosy. He did right in the eyes of the Lord, but still worshiped poorly, 
falsely, did not give God acceptable worship, so the Lord disciplines those whom he loves. He chastens every son whom he receives. He keeps his word. Verse 8. In the 38th year of Azariah, king of Judah, Zechariah, the son of Jeroboam, reigned over Israel and Samaria for six months. Now we're turning to the bulk of the chapter, which is now the northern kingdom. The northern tribes, verse 9, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. As his fathers had done, he did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel to sin. So the kings do evil. That's the theme. Kings do evil. They make Israel sin. So, adverb, it doesn't go well with them. Verse 10, Shalom, the son of Jabesh, conspired against him, struck him down, put him to death, reigned in his place. We're going to see that over and over again. That's, and notice the length of Zechariah's reign. Right? He reigns six months. Notice the reign of Shalom. I think he reigns two months. Short reigns, that's a theme. Short reigns in the north, conspiracy, death. It's the law. His conspirator actually only lived one month. What is it? One month? Verse uh, 13. I've been in verse 13. Yeah, one month. Sorry. Shalom, the son of Jabesh, began to reign in the 39th year of Uzzah, the king of Judah, and he reigned for one month. And then guess what happened to him? The letter kills. The wages of sin is death. Yes, more conspiracy. God's true to his word, which is long gospel. So more conspiracy, verse 14. Then Menahem, the son of Gadi, came up, basically conspires against him, puts him to death, kills him, reigns in his place. The letter kills. God's true to his word. His word is long gospel. Now notice verse 12, the parenthetical. This was the promise of Yahweh that he gave to Jehu. Your son shall sit on the throne of Israel to the fourth generation. And so it came to pass God keeps his word. He was faithful to Jehu. He promised Jehu four generations. Those four generations came through. God kept his word of grace. But after the fourth generation, another word comes. And that word is leading to Assyria. You see, the word of grace has ceased in Israel. No more grace in Israel. And we can clearly see why. Verse 16. At that time, Menahem sacked Tiphash, Tipsa, and all who were in it in the territory of Tirzah, because they did not open it to him, therefore he sacked it, ripped open all the women in it who were pregnant. This was common in the ancient. It was common in the ancient world for. It was common even today in, in politics for conspirator kings and conspirator leaders to not be accepted by everyone. So here's a here's a territory that doesn't accept the rule of Menahem. And, and back in the day, it was common for kings uh, to warn a. A territory, you better accept me or else. And then they would go in and they would sack it and they would remove the, the nobility and so forth, set an example, and then reign. But not Menahim. He perverts. He perverts justice. He kind of reminds me of Lamech. Remember Lamech in chapter 4 and chapter 3 of Genesis, chapter 4 of Genesis, chapter 3 of Genesis, God uh, gives us justice. Justice is described for the first time justice to Cain, proper justice. But then Lamech is the first recorded use of perversion, of perverted justice. He perverts justice. He kills a man for striking him. And then he boasts. He boasts in killing a man for striking him. That's not justice. You don't 
kill someone for merely slapping you in the face or slapping you on the cheek. No, he perverts justice. And here's Menahim, a perversion of justice. A territory would not sack him, so he does the most evil thing you can do. He goes and sacks a town and kills the most innocent people in that town and destroys mothers whom we are to protect and care for. His own people. Evil. And that's where we're at in Israel's history. This is Israel's history, and it's the law. For there is none righteous. No, not one. We may not be as evil as Menahim, but this is who we are in the story. This is who we are in the story. Sinners who do evil in the sight of the Lord. Idolaters. He was an idolater, verse 18, and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel to sin. He was a murderer. He was a tyrant. Verse 19, Pul, the king of Syria, came against the land of Menahim, gave Pul, and Menahim gave Pul a thousand talents of silver. A thousand talents of silver that he might help confirm his hold on the royal palace. He exacted this money from Israel. A thousand talents of silver, scholars tell us, that's 7,716 pounds of silver. That is a heavy burden that he taxed his own people only to, only to keep his throne. Now you might say, well, he did good. He got pull off his back. But really what he only does to pull is he strengthens the, the Assyrians. He makes them wealthier. He actually strengthens the empire on their doorsteps who are coming back. They're coming back for more. It's the law. Verse 27. In the 52nd year of Azariah, king of Judah, Pekah, the son of Remiah, began to reign over Israel. He reigned for 20 years. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel sin. Just more evil. More evil, which welcomes the Syrians back on their doorsteps. Verse 29, the days of Pekah, king of Israel, Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, came and captured Aijan and, well, all these places. <laughs> he carried all, he carried a huge remnant of Israel captive. We actually know of this also from ancient Near Eastern archaeology. Archaeology provides good information on this fellow Tiglath. He was Assyria's greatest, one of Assyria's greatest empire builders. He would go in and take nations and set up Assyrian rule, carry the people away, and put his own government in their place. And there's actually archaeology. There are stellas that claim that Tiglath put Hoshea on the throne. Hoshea is verse 30. Then Hoshea, the son of Eli, made a conspiracy, just more conspiracy, struck him down, put him to death, reigned in his place, yada, yada, yada. We actually have museum pieces that say, speaking from Assyria's place, saying uh, Tiglath put Hoshea on the throne. That's corroborating evidence for the Old Testament from ancient Near Eastern sources. And we actually see in chapter 16 that Hoshea actually begins to pay uh, Tiglath a lot of taxes. So we can see that the, there was more conspiracy here with Tiglath uh, putting to death uh, Pekah and Pekah and whatever, however you say his name, and 
reigning in his place. Lots of conspiracy. A coup. So in chapter 17, we see Hoshea paying tribute to Assyria. Nevertheless, judgment has come. There's been a partial reckoning. A partial reckoning of Israel taken back in bondage in the house of slavery. And a full reckoning is coming. Hoshea is the last king, by the way. Hoshea is the last king of Israel. We won't see another king in Israel again. Because God keeps his word. This is law. And for now, the story ends with Judah. In the second year of Pekah, the son of Remaliah, king of Israel, Jotham, the son of Uzzah. Uzzah is uh, just another name for Azariah. In the ancient world, kings often had two names, a royal name and a common name or birth name. Uh, so it's Uzzah's Azariah. The king of Judah began to reign. He was 25 years old when he began to reign. He reigned for 16 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jerusha, the daughter of Zadok. He's a good Jerusalem boy. And for all intents and purposes, he's a good one. Verse 34, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all his father Uzzah had done. He was a good, good king. Kind of. Verse 35, nevertheless, the high places were not removed. The people still sacrificed and made offerings on the high places. He's favorably evaluated, kind of. Right? He did right in the eyes of the Lord. He built up the Lord's place, the Lord's house. We see some of his goodness right here in fixing the upper gate on the Lord's house. Nevertheless, the shadow of the high places ominously foreshadows a foreign threat. Verse 37, in those days Yahweh began to send Rezin the king of Syria in the northern tribe against Judah. The Lord sent against Judah. And there's a larger threat coming. A larger threat remains in the distance. And that distance is not the future. That distance is the past. You see, chapter 17 is Yahweh's beginning. He's beginning to keep the law on the east side of the Jordan River, Moses charged Israel, do this and you shall live. Do this and you shall live. And like with Adam, God promised blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience. We're going to end in Deuteronomy. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the Torah. Deuteronomy chapter 17. This is the law. Deuteronomy 7, uh, 27, beginning verses 9 through 10. Deuteronomy 27, verse 9 and following. Then Moses and the Levitical priests said to all Israel, Keep silence and hear, O Israel. This day you have become the people of Yahweh your God. You shall therefore obey the voice of the Lord your God, keeping his commandments and his statutes, which I command you this day. Look down to verse 15. Cursed be the man who makes a carved or cast metal image, an abomination to the Lord, a thing made by hands of a craftsman, and sets it up in secret, 
And all the people shall answer and say, and let all God's people say, Amen. And like Adam, Israel transgressed this covenant. So God kept his word. Turn over with me to Jer uh, Deuteronomy uh, 31. Deuteronomy 31, verses 15 through 18. And the Lord appeared in the tent of, in a pillar of cloud. And the pillar of cloud stood over the entrance of the tent. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, you are about to lie down with your fathers. Then this people will rise and whore after the foreign gods among them in the land that they are entering. And they will forsake me and break my covenant that I have made with them. Then my anger will be kindled against them in that day. And I will forsake them and hide my face from them. And they will be devoured. And many evils and troubles will come upon them. So that they will say in that day, have not these evils come upon us because our God is not among us. And I will surely hide my face in that day because of all the evil that they have done because they have turned to other gods. And 2 Kings 15 marks the beginning of this day. This word promised to Moses, the law, is now beginning to be fulfilled in 2 Kings 15. It's the law. But there's another word in Deuteronomy. Look at chapter 29. Deuteronomy 29, beginning verse 13. Maybe verse 12. So you may enter into a sworn covenant of the Lord your God, which the Lord your God is making with you today, that he may establish you today as his people, and that he may be your God as he promised you, and as he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. This word is gospel. It's the word God first preached to Adam in the garden, afterwards proclaimed it to the patriarchs, then foreshadowed it in the sacrifices and ceremonies of Israel, and finally fulfilled it with Jesus Christ, his own beloved son. God destroyed Judah. That's the Babylonians. But his covenant with them remained. There was a covenant that remained. So he brought life out of their death. He brought redemption out of captivity because there is gospel in Judah. And his name is Jesus Christ of the Lion of the tribe of Judah. The son of David. The true Israel of God. He was put to death so that death might no longer reign. In Christ, the words, sin and death are no more. Sin must be punished, it's the law, even to death. But out of death and out of the law's punishment came life, new life, because God keeps his word. God promised to crush his son's son for our sins. So Christ kept that word and gave his life as a ransom. He was wounded for our transgressions. By his chastisement, he's brought us peace. Christ was raised from the dead as promised. Christ ascended as said. 
Christ will rise, raise you up on the last day. He keeps his word. And his word to you this morning is there is no more condemnation. His word is the law has no power over you. His law has no hold. God keeps his law. But that law has no hold on the Christian. And so God's word in Christ is now only peace. And I will be your shield. And your reward shall be great. He keeps his word. The promise is for you and your children forever. This word is gospel. The letter kills, but the spirit gives life. And trust Christ and find the comfort you'll always, you've always sought. The comfort you want, you need, the joy, the freedom from misery, depression, anxiety, trouble, sorrow, pain. There's an answer. It's the gospel. It's the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he's a promise-keeping God. He keeps his word. And his word to you this morning is, I'll never leave you. I will never forsake you. Not even to the grave. For death is gain. And that gospel, that word is gospel. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. At Covenant Reformed Church in Missoula, Montana, we sincerely believe God's Word and faithfully teach it. We invite you to worship with us on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. For more information, please visit MissoulaURC.com. That's MissoulaURC.com.